Well, as we grab a seat, I want to let you know that you're welcome to stand. Of course, in the back, we do have our overflow seating area in the Discipleship Center. So whether you are here in the sanctuary or joining us in the Discipleship Center, I am excited. I am tremendously excited, in case you can't tell. There, uh, there was a moment, I, I've got to be frank with you, at the top of the service. Remember when I got up front, for those of you that were here, uh, that had already, you know, battled parking? You heard me in the beginning, I said, he is risen. Remember that moment? Well, today's the first day I've ever get, gotten to say that part of it. You know, normally, you know, we do this part, right? He is risen. See, I always used to get that part of it. Because this is the first Easter where I'm a senior pastor and I get to preach. So... So I've got about 11 years of being a pastor as like the number two, wanting to preach, all crammed in the next 20 minutes. Is that okay? Can we do this? And the reason why I'm so excited is because I truly believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most powerful reality in the universe. It changes lives. It changes relationships. It changes perspectives. It's changed my life. So as I share with you today, I'm not saying that this was just some metaphor or some literary device that Scripture uses to, you know, give us encouragement or to help us pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but rather that in Jesus Christ, we can find new life and hope and purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction in Him. Many pastors have often said, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? I'm not going to ask that question. But I'd rather ask us and myself this question, if you were to wake up tomorrow if you were to wake up tomorrow, what would you have to live for? And as a follower of Jesus Christ, for those of us here and those of us hearing this message perhaps for the first time, we believe that in Jesus, because He defeated death, that He gives us the most reason to celebrate and the glorious and most beautiful thing to live for. The love that we're longing for, the peace that we need, the satisfaction, the significance, we believe all of that can be found because Jesus defeated death. So as we spend some time in Scripture, why don't we open up our Bibles? If you have them in the pews in front of you, there's those red book. If you're in the overflow room or perhaps in this space, if you have a phone, you can pull that out. You can go to Mark 16. There's a great app that I use called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. And as we go to Mark 16, it's on page 827 in your pew Bible. If you don't have your Bibles, you can listen. I'm not going to read through this again. We already had that read for us. But there's three verbs in this section that I want us to key in on because each of these verbs reveals to us an invitation that the resurrection gives us. The first verb was crucified. The second verb is look, and the third verb is go. So in that first verb that we get, it's actually in Mark 16, we get this picture of these women. They've come to the tomb. It's three days after Jesus' death, which is so fascinating because Jesus has said many times up to this point, I will die and I will arise on the third day. Yet nobody on the third day expected that he would actually raise from the grave. So these women have gone, they've come to anoint Jesus for burial, and they're astonished. And there's an angel that appears, says, don't be afraid. 
He was crucified. He is risen. And every Easter, we gather together and we say the other verb, He is risen. We celebrate that. That is so true, but we can't forget that before He was risen, He was crucified. And it reminds us, the fact that He was crucified, it's an invitation to us to be redeemed. You see, the resurrection deals with our past very differently than Back to the Future. You saw Back to the Future, right? You know, Marty McFly, you've seen that? Number one, two, three, you've seen that movie, you know? The way that Back to the Future, the film, deals with our past, our pain, our sorrow, our suffering, the mistakes that we made, is to go back in time and to change our past as if it never happened in the first place. A lot of fairy tales, a lot of movies, a lot of books, the happy ending happens because somehow some magic wand was waved. There was something that was done so that our past was erased, but the gospel says, no, 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 no. We can't forget the fact that Jesus was crucified. And even after the fact that he was risen, he still had scars in his hands. There wouldn't be resurrection without crucifixion. And there's this great truth that we experience, perhaps we don't even know it, the, the movies that we're drawn to, the, the stories that we long for, that, you know, when we gather as friends and we talk about our past, the things that we say, that was a great story. Typically, it's because there's tremendous sorrow and heartache and brokenness going to the brink of the unknown and then coming back to life. You see, there's an invitation that the resurrection gives us to be redeemed, to be redeemed. Tim Keller, a pastor in Manhattan, says this, a restored to perfection world is going to be infinitely greater than a world that was always perfect. There was another quote that was given to me by our guitarist, Matt, in between the services, and he texted it to me, and he says this, that... It's only through our brokenness that we can be mended. And it's only through being mended that we can be made whole. And that's why the end of suffering is so beautiful. You see, there's an invitation that God gives us to not forget our past, not to forget our brokenness, not to put aside our suffering, not to put aside our pain, not to bury our scars or our wounds, but to see that God can redeem even that. And he transforms us and he gives us life, not despite our past or despite our failures or despite our brokenness. He uses all of that for his glory. A couple of weeks ago, I had a breakfast with a friend. I hadn't seen him for years, a guy I've known for almost a decade, one of the, the greatest guys I know in my life, moral integrity and a great leader who served in the church. And, you know, when I think of him, I think of somebody as just being, you know, he has it all together. And so we got together. We hadn't seen each other for years. He'd moved away out of state. And as we spent some time together, one of the things that caught my eye the moment I saw him for breakfast was that he had this brace on his arm. And I, and I said, what, what, what happened? And he goes to tell me a story. Six months ago, he was riding an ATV, flips off of it, blacks out immediately. Wakes up, he's, he's trying to gather himself, collect himself, feels this pain, looks at his right arm, and right where his bicep is, his arm is shooting backwards. Completely wrong direction. I'm like, <gasps> I put my fork down, I can't eat anymore, I'm sorry if I ruin your brunch, you know, your lunch, but that was me in that moment. 
And so, you know, we're talking, and, and it goes on. And towards the end of our time together, it was just the two of us. We're down the parking structure. And I said, hey, you know, you've been gone away for a couple years. What, what's something that's happened in the last couple years that, that was surprisingly the best thing that happened? And he points to his arm. And I'm like, what? No, no, I'm seriously, what's, what's, what's the greatest thing that happened in the last few years? He says, no, I'm seriously this. He says, Drew, up until that point, and he says, I never shared this with you, but my life was going in the complete wrong direction. Personally, professionally, in relationships, I began to get caught up in things that were completely destructive. And I didn't realize it, but my life was heading in the complete wrong direction. And it took the broken arm, literally going the wrong direction, that recalibrated, reset reposition my life. So I look back on that moment, Drew, six months ago, and I'm telling you, because of that, for the first time in my life, I got to this point where I realized I needed to ask for help. I couldn't do it all on my own. And he began to share with me that professionally and personally and in his relationships, God began to reset everything back right. And he gave me this snapshot of a redemptive story. He didn't say, despite this, he says, no, because of this, because of that brokenness, because of that pain, it got me into a place where God completely redeemed me, and I've experienced a whole newness in life. I said, how could you say that? I mean, that's crazy. He says, well, I wouldn't have wished that on myself, but God used that in such tremendous ways, and I'm here to tell you that you might have a broken relationship or a broken view of yourself or a broken view of dreams and hopes that have been dashed and scattered. And Jesus says that I want to use even that in your brokenness, in your pain, in your suffering. I want to transform that. I want to redeem that. I don't want you to avoid it. I want to use that very thing, the thing that causes you the most sorrow, and I want to give you your greatest joy. There's this truth that we see in Scripture and Revelation. It says that one day in God's presence in the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus will wipe away every single tear. And it makes a clear point that he will wipe away every tear. It's not just the tears that we would cry in that moment in heaven, but literally, I don't know what this looks like, I don't know how this works, but God says very clearly and authoritatively and truly that he will wipe away every tear that you've ever cried. Not to cast aside but to create something beautiful out of it. Who would have thought that when Jesus went to the cross that that would be our greatest joy? Who would have thought that in a sacrificial death that we would have open access to God himself? Who would have thought of all that pain and all that suffering that Jesus chose? He didn't go to the cross as a victim. He went victorious because he loves us. And there's things in your life that I don't want you to check at the door. I've heard at churches before, you know, you know, leave your baggage at the door. And I know that some of you, many of you will return next week to hear about this hope, the truth, and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And when you come, I want you to bring your baggage in. I don't want you to check it at the door. I want you to bring in your doubts and your fears and your heartache and your sorrow, your needs, your concerns. I want you to bring all of that here because we believe that Jesus has the power to transform and redeem even that. And if we bury it, if we keep it at the door, if we keep it down low, God will not do the work that he so clearly and desperately wants to do in our life. You see, Jesus is alive. But is he alive in your life? 
Are you allowing God to redeem even the broken parts of you today? There's an invitation that He's extending you because of the resurrection, an invitation to be redeemed. But even beyond that, it's an invitation to be reoriented. That, that second verb in there, the, the, it's so fascinating. In Mark 16, verse 6, the angel looks at these women and says, look, look, he's not here. Look where they laid him. He is not here. The angel is saying, look into the thing that causes you the most sorrow, that causes you the most pain. And in there, you're going to find hope and satisfaction and joy. Do you realize that that cross in the first century was an instrument of torture? The word excruciating was a word that was invented to describe the pain on the cross. X, out of, crux, cross. Out of the cross comes a pain unlike anything else. And the angel is saying to the woman, I want you to take a look at that. Look, look, do you realize that he's not here? In Luke it says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's alive. You think he's dead. You think it's done. You think your hopes have been dashed on the rocks. He's alive. And when you allow the truth that Jesus is alive, the resurrection power of Jesus to penetrate into your life, God says to you and to me, look, you think that marriage is dead? You think those dreams are dead? You think your career is dead? You think that, that relationship with your kids or your parents or your grandparents, you think all those things are dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive, even in those broken and dead things. And there's an opportunity to reorient your perspective. For God to redeem those things and for you to understand that even in the brokenness, even in the sorrow and the heartache and the loss, Jesus can use all of that to transform you for his glory. But even beyond that, there's the last verb. And it's a forceful verb. It's go. There's this truth that we encounter in Scripture that because Jesus has been crucified, and that historical event, though it happened in the past, the Greek verb there says that that has implications for today. That he redeems our past, that he reorients our perspective of the present, but he sends us out in the future for his purpose, for his glory. It actually sends us, and it's an invitation to be released. There's a lot of things holding us back in this world. There's addiction, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's, there's relationship. There's a lot of things that hold us back. There's physical things, relational things, emotional things, spiritual things that hold us back. And God wants to release us from those things to thrive, to flourish, to experience the abundant life, the life that He designed for us, that He desires for us. There's a young Christian woman by the name of Johnny Erickson Tata. I've met her a few times, and if you don't know her story, at the age of 17, she suffered a tremendous accident, left her paralyzed from the neck down. And in the pain and the sorrow of that, wondering, God, why would you allow this to happen to me? She would attend church. And it was always so painful in the church service when the priest would say, okay, now for this prayer, let's, let's kneel. And even though she was in a church service and though everyone kneeled to pray the prayers, tears would flood down her face because it was a reminder that she could not kneel like everyone else. But she writes in one of her books that there was one Sunday. It was an Easter Sunday 
where the priest, like he had done many times before, asked everyone to kneel and pray. And for the first time, she didn't cry. For the first time, she didn't sob. Because for the first time, she began to listen at the prayer that she was praying in that moment. And she writes this. I suddenly realize that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is an image that is given in Scripture for all of God's people, in the new heavens, the new earth, to experience the fullness, not only spiritually, but also physically, this resurrection life where there's no sadness, no death, no tears, no unemployment, no parking issues. <laughs> in the new heavens, the new earth, it actually describes a festive celebration, the wedding feast of the Lamb being Jesus. We're all are invited, even carried to the table. And she says, I suddenly realized that when I get to the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing that I'll be able to do on my resurrected legs is to drop down on grateful, glorified knees and kneel quietly before the feet of Jesus. And then I'm going to get on my feet and I'm going to dance. In that moment, her life was released. Though she is still physically bound in that wheelchair, she is one of the most free people I've ever met. Since then, she has founded a nonprofit that has a global impact to provide disability ministries around the world. She's co-authored and written almost 50 books. She stars in a movie about herself. And she is one of the most free people I know, not because of what she brings to the table, not because of her strength, not because of some self-help thing that she somehow mastered. It's because she harnessed the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in her life. And there's tremendous joy that flows out of her. And I love the truth that she reminds us that in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to dance, that we're going to celebrate. In fact, one of the first things that Jesus does, we see in the other gospel accounts, when he shows up to the disciples, they're so afraid. And the first things that he says is, I'm hungry. Give me some food. Do you realize that when we are resurrected with Jesus, that we're going to eat food and it's going to be really good food. <laughs> I love the fact that there's going to be food in heaven. No slow service at a restaurant. It's going to be so good, so wonderful, so glorious. And so what that means for us today, because we've been released from the pain and the suffering that ultimately doesn't have the last word in our life, then we can celebrate here and now. So when we go to our brunches, when we go to our lunches, when we go to our Easter dinners, when we go out and do our Easter egg hunts and all the things that we're going to do to celebrate today, I want you to do that because Jesus is alive. And when you embrace that in your life, you have more reason to celebrate than anyone else in the world. You have more reason to be free than anyone else in the world. It's so counterintuitive that when you die to yourself, you're most alive and free in Jesus Christ. At the end of uh, last week's sermon, a few people came up to me and they said, man, Drew, that was such a great service, it was such a great sermon, how are you going to top that for Easter? <laughs> I, I said, I don't know. Is that like a thing? I got to top it week after week? <laughs> so then the texts start coming in. Dude, I'm praying for you. <laughs> that was like a big Sunday. I hope you don't peak too soon. I mean, Easter's coming. That was Palm Sunday. Oh, this is serious. Emails are coming in. People this morning are like, last week was awesome. Can't wait for today. 
So all week I've been thinking, I've been praying, I've been, God, how do I? And then I got to this moment this week where I realized I don't have to top anything because it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ. And actually, as I listened to what God was doing in and through your life, I realized that you topped my sermon in how you live this week. What do I mean by that? At the end of last week's sermon, I gave a charge. I said, I want you to go out and invite your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and those that are most unlikely to come to church. And perhaps some of you are even here today for the first time. And I'm so glad that you're here, that you would feel welcomed and loved, that you would find freedom in Jesus Christ, that we would find hope for the things that we need. But one of the things that I said was there was a homeless man that I encountered the week before. Remember that for those that were here? Woodman exit off the 101 freeway. And about a month ago, we gave out these, they're like these care packages. Why don't you throw one up to me? We've got these love your neighbor care packages. And we, we, we handed these out about a month ago. But 900 of them, we sent people out in the community to give. And I encountered this guy named Wendell on the corner of the 101 in Woodman. And I said, hey, I've got a package for you. And he says, oh, I got one of those <laughs> from like the week before. I'm like, oh, great. And then I was like... He didn't know who I was, right? So I'm like, so is it worth getting another one? He says, yeah, absolutely. That was great. I said, here, let me give you two. I'll give you one for you, and I want to give you another one so that you can give it to somebody in need. And we were talking a little bit more. Is that the light? You know, very quickly, we had to have this conversation. And he says, you know, I'd love to worship up at Bel Air sometime. I said, that'd be great. I wish I invited him. Ah, missed the opportunity. But what I did say was, oh, I'm the pastor. He says, you? Right? <laughs> So I said in the service last Sunday, I said, I want Wendell to be here in service. We've got to go find him. And so in the midst of me never being able to top that sermon, I want to share with you a story of a high school student named JT who got permission from his parents to ride his bike that Sunday afternoon to Woodman and the 101 to find Wendell, to invite him to service, to invite him to Easter, to invite him to find the hope and the the precious joy of knowing Jesus Christ, just to hear this wonderful orchestra and the choir and all of this experience, it's all for Jesus, to experience all of that, and he couldn't find them. And he texted me, and we texted back, and even though he couldn't find him, I saw in this heart a high school student leading this church on an Easter Sunday, reminding us that we are released to live for him. And I heard more stories from the last week, an older guy named JT a little bit older than uh, high school. He told me, dude, I was looking for Wendell. I'm like, you too? Wow, okay. It's like, where's Waldo? Where's Wendell? We're looking for him. It's like a manhunt, you know? <laughs> and so he's going throughout the city. He tells me, trying to find Wendell. He can't find Wendell. And he says, but last night in trying to find Wendell, I met some other guys and gals that were homeless. We went to 7-Eleven. I bought him some hot dogs. And I sat down with one guy. He was so young, and I, and I said, how'd you, how? Man, you're homeless. How'd that happen? He says, I don't know. I just, I'm not getting along with my parents right now. JT, the older JT, prays with him. He says, you know what weekend this is? This is, this is Easter. Shares with him in that moment, in a 7-Eleven, the hope of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, hey, come here, my pastor tell you about it. He told him right there in that 7-Eleven. 
And JT tells me this morning in the sunrise service that experience and how transformative that was for him. You see, there's many more stories that God wants to write in and through us. He doesn't want to just release us from the things that hold us back. He wants to release us so that we can serve and extend freedom and hope and love to people in this city. You'll notice around the room there's, there's cherry blossoms. Even if you're in the overflow, there's cherry blossoms all around the room. And one of the things about cherry blossoms is there's this great anticipation for when the bloom will be released from the bud. So in Tokyo and Washington, D.C. and throughout the world where there's cherry blossoms, there's this great celebration, great anticipation for that moment when the bloom just comes to life. And as you look around the room, perhaps some of you can't see it from where you are, but there are these cherry blossoms. Some of them have bloomed, but some of them are still buds. And to me, that's such a great reminder of what we are experiencing in this place that some of us that we are experiencing, we have harnessed. We not only say with our lips, but we live out with our lives that Jesus is alive. And we are flourishing, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of heartache. We are beginning to blossom, but there are some of us that are still buds. All the potential is in there, but we have yet to flourish, yet to be released, not only from the broken things in our life, but released to serve and love others. You know what's going to happen to those cherry blossoms in this space? Well, at least what the florist told me. He <laughs> says, yeah, about three days after Easter, they'll all be blooming. You've come to Easter to experience the service. But now that you're here, I want to send you out in service. Our entire church at the end of last Sunday put together 2,000 of these things, these love your neighbor care packages. Yeah, we can celebrate that. And there's toothpaste, toothbrushes, sunscreen, things that, you know, alleviate temporary suffering, meet our earthly needs. Jesus was all about that giving sight to the blind, resurrecting the dead. He, he very much cared for our earthly needs, but it also speaks to our eternal needs. There's the Gospel of John. And as you are sent out at the end of the service in a little bit, I want you to take one of these, one per household. And you might say, I'm not qualified for that. I love the fact that the angel said to the woman, go and tell the disciples and Peter, that I'm alive. It didn't just say, go and tell the disciples. It said, go and tell the disciples and Peter. Who was Peter? Peter was the biggest screw-up of all the disciples. He just denied Jesus three times after he said that he wouldn't do it. And some of you come in here and you think, I'm not qualified to give. I'm not qualified to serve. I'm not qualified to be used by God. Oh, yes, you are. And in this moment, I'm saying to you, not only that He was crucified, that He is risen, to look, but also to go. You've come for a service, but I want to send you out in service. And as you go out, as you experience that, as you allow Jesus to help you blossom, to flourish, to release you from the things that are holding you back, but also to serve the needs of this community, would you know that when you come back next Sunday and you share stories of what God has done in and through you, that you'll see cherry blossoms blooming just like your life is? Only through Jesus 
and we experience that. That's why we believe the resurrection is so powerful. It changes everything. An invitation's been given because of the resurrection to be redeemed, to be reoriented, to be released for His glory. Let's pray. God, in this moment, as we continue to unravel the glorious beauty of who you are in our minds and in our hearts, I pray that now we would sit in this space, stand in this space, be present with our minds and our hearts, including our bodies, in this space to continue to encounter you, Jesus to know how great and glorious you are, to proclaim that you are alive and to receive that in our own life. Jesus, we lift up empty hands of faith to receive the fullness of you. It's not what we do for you, it's what you've already done for us. Jesus, we thank you for your love and it's in your name we pray. Amen.